welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Toma Berkowitz, and he is a partner and CFO at Amoon, which is an Israeli fund, which you're going to hear a lot about in this episode. So there he leads mid to late stage investments in health tech companies specifically. Uh, he joined Amoon in early 2018. Uh, he's led a load of different investments like a 30 million series C into Zebra Medical Vision, 55 million series D into SIA. He's also a board member in Pharma2B and Mappy. Uh, he's got 15 years of US capital market experience. He now spearheads Amoon's Bridge to Wall Street, where he manages the fund's relationship with major investment banks, equity research analysts, investment funds. He's done loads of cool stuff. So you guys are going to love this episode. Enjoy. So Toma, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Toma? Uh, so right now I'm in uh, a city called Ranana. Uh, Ranana is located uh, slightly northeast of Tel Aviv. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And how are you guys coping with COVID-19? Are you in lockdown over there in Israel? So, you know, Israel was one of the first countries to respond uh, to the COVID crisis. Oh, really? So, uh, we, we entered uh, lockdown and there were uh, restrictions here on uh, uh, international travel and social distancing rules that came into effect, I would say, relatively early on. And, and, and the implications of that are that right now, uh, I would say we're 70, 80% back to normal. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're in the office right now. All of our uh, employees are, are here. Uh, restaurants and schools uh, reopened. Uh, so there, there, there are still some restrictions, but I would say... Uh, relatively speaking, uh, it's um, uh, you know we're doing pretty well, and and you know maybe maybe some of that is that uh, Israelis are kind of used to dealing with uh, emergency situations. Uh, for us, uh, it's not that rare. Yeah, uh, that uh, we have to deal with circumstances that uh, would be considered. Um, very much out of the ordinary for for mm. many other countries. And you have a lot of health tech over there in Israel, so potentially, I suppose your testing is probably on point over there. Uh, yes, uh, it did take some time um, to get to that point, um, but uh, but I think we're there now. I mean, there there roughly. Uh, fifteen thousand tests a day. Yeah. Uh, for 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 the last uh, few weeks. Wow. Well, we're definitely going to get into it. We're definitely going to talk about the why Israel is so good at health tech a little bit later on. But Tommy, yeah, the way that we begin these podcasts is that I ask you to tell your story. And so you've got an incredible background. We obviously had a quick call beforehand and, and I learned a bit about everything that you've been up to, up, up to Amoon and everything that you're doing with your fund. But it'd be great for our listeners if you could tell a bit of your story for us, sir. Uh, sure, happy to. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Israel and I uh, was uh, born and raised uh, here. 
um, uh, served in the army, but then uh, did my bachelor's, master's degrees uh, uh, here, uh, Tel Aviv University. But then, but then I guess kind of the major uh, inflection point for me was uh, deciding to uh, move to New York at a, at a relatively young age, at the age of 24, uh, to get my uh, PhD in uh, finance. Uh, so I, uh, I went to New York, I studied at Columbia uh, for uh, uh, four and a half years there, uh, completing the uh, uh, PhD. During that time, a couple of interesting things happened. Uh, one is that I got exposure to uh, Wall Street as I was working for uh, Citi. Um, yeah. and, and got really excited about that uh, side of the, uh, of the equation. And then when, when, when I started, when I finished my PhD and I got my, my first position in, uh, in investment banking at, at JP Morgan, um, a few months later, Lehman Brothers collapsed and we mm -hmm. entered into the worst economic crisis wow. of the last 80 years. So that was the, the way for me to kind of uh, start my uh, uh, Wall Street career. And, and, and at JP Morgan, I was part of a new group that was called Corporate Finance Advisory. So in, in the hype of 2007, when JP Morgan kind of thought of creative ways uh, to differentiate itself from the competition, uh, one of the thoughts was, well, let's build a team that will work across industries and across products and will provide uh, strategic advice to clients on some of the more complicated uh, transactions and, and strategic decisions. And when, when, when the financial world collapsed in, in 2008, that was a complete disaster for everyone, but, but specifically for, for our group, that was actually the point where senior executives were, were looking to, uh, to get some advice. We're looking to mm -hmm. get something that was a little bit more uh, analytical, in-depth, thoughtful than, than, than some of the day-to-day you know, -day banking conversations. So, uh, so, 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 so our team really, really took off. And, um, and, and, and the next uh, six, seven years were just uh, fascinating there. And, um, and the group by nature kind of covered uh, different industries, but I personally was attracted to uh, healthcare and found myself after two, three years basically uh, running the uh, healthcare advisory part within the corporate finance advisory team and, and spending a considerable amount of my time in healthcare which then uh, led to another decision that I, that I took a few years later to become an operator and, 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 and move to a, to a healthcare company. So um, when, I, when I decided to move back to Israel after 11 years in New York, I, I took a CFO, COO position uh, with a NASDAQ-listed biopharmaceutical company that we managed uh, out of Israel. And that's a really interesting move, isn't it? Because obviously for now that you're an investor, 
having that operational experience seems to be one of the differentiators between, you know, the good and the great in terms of investors. So those that truly understand what it's like and to be in the companies that they're investing in, they will understand the pressures a lot more. It seems like you'd be able to add a, a different type of value as, you know, having a, a board seat and all the rest of it. I mean, would you agree that that was a, a, a good thing for you to do in your career? So, you know, James, it's, it's interesting because when you, when you build a team, and, and I think that it's true for venture capital funds, but it's, it's also, also true for companies, you always have the dilemma of uh, what kind of people do I hire and how do I build a team? Yeah. So do I hire people that are more like me and have similar background and, 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 and maybe working together will be seamless because... We're coming from the same school of thought, yeah. Or do I look for just the opposite? Do I look for people that have specific experience in the specific role that I'm hiring for, or do I actually want to take a fresh view and bring something else to the table? Mm. And, and and the way we built the team here at Moon is uh, one is we we hired a, a highly diverse team, so we have people that have you know, PhD in biology, and we have people that are medical doctors, and we have people that are bankers and lawyers and operators. And our, our line of thinking was, we want to get different points of view around the table. But then maybe the more interesting nuance is that we really like when we find people that are well-rounded. Yeah. Meaning that you know, within the same individual, you're going to get a more, I would say, multi-layered uh, uh, perspective on, on, on a situation. I'll, I'll maybe give you a concrete example. Uh, one of my colleagues here, uh, Gore, is a medical doctor by training, and then he was an equity research analyst at Piper, and then he was an investor at Van Rock. And then he ran a couple of biotech companies. So when you talk to someone like that, when you run through ideas, when you brainstorm on a, on a, on a specific company, you know, they, they can bring you a very sophisticated point of view. It's not, yeah. it's not just a very, you know, a narrow perspective of someone who's been doing the same thing for the first, for, for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And then, you know, at the beginning you learn a lot from them and then over time they kind of become predictable. And so I suppose that's a, that's a good way of saying, yes, the diversification of your own <laughs> career was definitely the right thing to do, right? A long-winded way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. So it, it's, it, it's such an interesting background that you've got. And it seems that a very good decision for you was doing that PhD in finance initially up front and obviously moving to the US as well. I think... To have done that and learned what you learned as you would do in a PhD in finance and then see that entire paradigm and that entire world collapse, followed by this really interesting, I'd almost call it innovation that you guys had to do in your team to find your own product market fit in a sort of a post-finance apocalyptic world. 
it's a really interesting thing to have to go through, you know, in your mid twenties to see that innovation, to learn the the traditional establishment in finance, to see that collapse and all those different things. Do you think that that has, has given you any unique views or any kind of, did that add something to you in your career? And does it, does it add something to you as an investor, you think, to have gone through that early? Yes. Yeah, so one of the major takeaways for me was that uh, a crisis also presents opportunities. Mm. So when we entered the COVID crisis right now, that's a good point. Which in, in, in many ways was, was absolutely devastating uh, to many industries and individuals and, and very close to our heart as we're dealing with, with healthcare. Um, at the same time, it also presented some very unique opportunities to some of our uh, portfolio companies. And, you know, when we uh, raised the fund, it was all built on the idea of the convergence between technology and biology. Yeah. And, and we had a view that that will probably take, you know, five to 10 years to fully materialize. And what, what COVID has done is that it, it, it really accelerated this process that was already taking place. So, you know, it was another... Uh, example for me of of how a crisis can also create opportunities. So you need to be careful. You need to manage risk. You need to protect the downside in a crisis, but you also need to think about the recovery and and, and what's going to happen the next day. It's such a good point. And actually, you've also then gone through something in your early 20s where you've seen the world recover and you've seen yourself recover and you've seen the businesses that you were part of recover. So you've also got that optimism as well that things are going to be okay, as well as I suppose the the pragmatism and the practicality to know, okay, let's manage risk first and foremost, but now let's also balance that with looking for opportunity. And that's that's okay. That's how we have to survive. I think that that is a really interesting point. And so I guess that leads us nicely onto talking about a moon, right? And talking about the role that you're in now. So how did it come about you becoming a partner at a moon and, and, and how did that go? And yeah, tell us a bit about the fund. Yeah. So, so it is very kind of unusual story, I would say. <laughs> it <laughs> always a, tends to be. <laughs> for a venture capital fund. So, um, you know, about, uh, uh, three and a half, four years ago, um, uh, Marius Nacht uh, co-founded uh, a moon together with uh, Yair Schindel. And, and, and Marius is one of the co-founders of uh, Checkpoint Software, uh, the cybersecurity company. It's, uh, it's a NASDAQ 100 company today, but it's a, it's a remarkable story of entrepreneurship mm. because it's a story of three young entrepreneurs that back in 93, when the internet was just starting and people were still thinking about, you know, the first step, so do I build routers? How do I take advantage of this opportunity? They, they thought about the, the evolution and, and the next step. And they thought about was what's back then called internet security. And they invented the first firewall of the internet. Wow. And, and they took a $400,000 loan and turned it into this $20 billion company, uh, largest company by market cap in Israel. 
with 50% profit margin after tax to this day. Whoa. And, 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 and it's just a really um, impressive story. So um, when, when Marius decided three, four years ago that there was an opportunity in, in healthcare, people here paid attention. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I did as well. Um, I, I heard about this and, and I was very curious to learn why is he making the transition? Why now? Why in Israel? Why is he partnering with Yair? And I was looking for my next step. And at that point of my career, I, I cared a lot about, about impact. Also. Mm. Um, and, and I had a conversation with, with Marius. I, I remember that very you know, vividly sitting in his kitchen uh, for, for three hours. Mm. And, and, and he described to me what he thinks is going to happen in health tech globally and how, how Israel can play a role in that. And that he's starting this family office that will transition into a venture capital fund that will help and contribute and be part of the ecosystem uh, here in Israel. And, 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 and that, that was kind of the story that I, that I fell in love with and I, I, I wanted to, to, to dedicate the next chapter of my career to. It's a very easy story to fall in love with that. I find myself being swept away by that even. And I imagine it was a very nice kitchen as well that you were sat in when he was telling you that story. Um, <laughs> so I think quite easy to be swept away with um, with that sort of optimism as, and as I say, as all pra- pragmatism, practicality. And so I think one thing, one question I'd like to ask you here then, and I think it's a nice place to ask that question. You talk about this idea to sit this family office and venture capital within the ecosystem and, you know, turn Israel into a powerhouse for health tech. Can you tell us about the Israel ecosystem? Because, and we'll come back to the fund later because you do some super interesting stuff with your fund that I definitely want to talk about. But where does this sit in the ecosystem in terms of, you know, the size and scale of what you invest in? But also, what is it about Israel and the ecosystem that makes you guys so good at building health tech companies and exporting them? You know, to answer this question, you first have to look at uh, other successful ecosystems and maybe ask, what do they have? Why are they so successful? So take take the Boston area, uh, for example. Uh, Why is it so successful? In, in, in healthcare. Uh, I think that it's so successful because uh, there's, there's a good combination there of very high quality universities and research institutions. You have Harvard and MIT and the Broad Institute. You have uh, great hospitals and you have a very vibrant and well-funded uh, venture capital community. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when you look then at Israel, and at least when we looked at it uh, a few years ago, what we saw was uh, great hospitals, great research institutions, not so much uh, sophisticated capital available for investments, uh, some willingness at the government level to help and support the growth of this industry, 
more yeah. so today than it was three, four years ago. And, and, and we also identified a very interesting and asset that many people don't realize that exists here, which is uh, electronic uh, medical records. Yes. So uh, 98% of the population in Israel has electronic medical records. Wow. And, and they go back almost 20 years. So right. just, just think about the, the longitudinal data uh, that, that, that you can get. And, and the system here is highly consolidated. So you have four large uh, integrated HMO providers, and, and you're likely to stay with the same one from birth to death. Uh, which, 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 which is not great from a competitive landscape uh, perspective, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's great from a data standpoint. Yeah. And, and if all of that is digital, then that's a goldmine for what we're trying to achieve. So, so, so we saw all of that, and, and we thought that uh, two ingredients were missing. Uh, one is uh, uh, kind of a strong, uh, vibrant, venture capital community. So there were a few funds and, and, and there were a few even very successful ones for early stage investments. But as you got to the later stage, uh, there was the value of death. Yeah. Uh, and, and the second thing that was missing is, is something to kind of put all this ecosystem together. And, 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 and what Marius did, and I think that he was very visionary maybe in that respect was to, to do two things is to build a moon um, together with Yair and other people who joined later. And at the same time also formed this NGO that's called 8400 that is, is, is just tasked with um, facilitating uh, the, the, the communication and the network across the ecosystem. Interesting. That is super interesting. And, you know, me being somebody who's run two different health tech accelerators and all the rest of it, I can only imagine what it would be like having a specific resource available that is out there listening and connecting an entire community. I mean, that that definitely resonates with me in terms of oiling the wheels of any ecosystem, right? And, and you said it, communication, because that's what it is. It means that people aren't operating in silos. The information is shared, which means that the opportunity is, is shared. And it means that a rising tide will raise all ships and, and everybody will benefit from that, that communication being across the board. I think that that's the bit for me, which is a really ingenious step, actually. And that, what was it called? Sorry, I'm going to look this up. So it's called 8400. Um, and, and, and the way that they, by the way, that they came up with the name, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, uh, so, so one thing was that they, that, that they wanted to uh, have 400 senior executives across the uh, uh, healthcare system here in Israel go through this uh, program in eight years. But I think maybe the, the, the kind of more, more, more interesting part of this name is that there's a very famous unit, intelligence unit in the Israeli army that's called 8200. Yeah. And, and, and many people say that the reason or one of the main reasons that 
we have such a strong uh, cyber uh, community here is because of 8200. That they get trained there, that they develop the network there, and then they go out, they, 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 they form startups that already have kind of a built-in uh, ecosystem from the army. So, yeah. so Mario said, then let's build the same thing for health tech, for health tech and, and, and that's what he did, and that's called 8400. Oh, I, abs- I absolutely love that. I'm definitely going to check that out and I'll stick the, the link to it in the description of the episode for everybody listening. Um, so you can come along with me on that learning journey because I think that is a there's a real space for that. And, it, and I think every ecosystem and especially a health tech ecosystem, and you guys seem to have proved it in, uh, in Israel doing this, but the innovation doesn't stop there, right? So you guys, I want to talk about three different things. I want to talk about your team. I want to talk about the funds and I want to talk about some of your portfolio. And I think... You mentioned it earlier about the way that you built your team when I talked about, you know, was it a good thing you having a diversified experience? And you said, yes, because that's who we hire. And I think that's a really interesting point about your fund is that you aren't just taking the management fee and paying paying yourselves ludicrous salaries as partners. You're actually building a really significant team that I imagine will add value in in lots of different specific ways. And I think so many funds claim to be founder-centric, we support our companies, we help them grow, we do all these things. Whereas often what you what you sometimes hear from founders is that, you know, they take a board seat and they turn up four times a year and they don't really do much. So I think it's a really interesting point that I don't think you guys can be accused of that, can you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by the VC model. <laughs> me, me too. For the listeners of this podcast, will know that uh, yeah, I've <laughs> similarly been interested in this. You know, even in my master's thesis when I was uh, twenty, I, I actually wrote it on how VCs fund innovation. Amazing. Uh, that, that was that was the focus of my PhD. Can you send me that, please? I'd love to read that. That was the focus of my PhD dissertation as well. I was always very very curious on how do you fund. R&D in an efficient way. And specifically, when you think about the VC model, there was something there that always kind of bothered me, which was uh, uh, the feeling that it's heavily reliant on, on the partner's ability to select very few outliers. Yeah. But then when you think about businesses and how they scale, I, I, I always thought to myself, but, what, but then how do you scale that kind of business? So let's yeah. say that you have a great partner. You found that one guy that can beat the market, that can select the winners. But okay, then they can sit on how many boards? Five, <laughs> six, seven, eight. Yeah. What do you do next? How do you scale yeah. that business? I mean, if it's all about just one individual. And, and, and then you see that there are other models out there. And, and, and the model that we thought made more sense to us was a model where you, you actually build a platform that can uh, have a, a very well-defined engine for sourcing, for the due diligence process, yeah. and then very importantly, supporting the company's post-investment. Yeah. But not on kind of a, on a one-off basis, you know, maybe that partner has some uh, connection in a, in, a, in a particular, with a particular company, but sure. something that's much more systematic than that. So, you know, we've built a team here of now 45 people. Um, wow. We have uh, seven PhDs, three medical doctors. 
people with background from big pharma, yeah. from medtech companies, from <laughs> banks. And, the and, whole and ecosystem, unsurprisingly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, and look, we, we, we did not uh, invent the wheel here. I, I, I want to be clear. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there are funds like Andreessen Horowitz that have been doing it yeah. in, 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 in a very efficient and, and impressive way. And, and we learned from them and we adjusted it to healthcare and we adjusted it to Israel. Mm. And it's funny, isn't it? Because it's the same advice that you give CEOs, which is that you, you, you know, build a company where your IP isn't the important IP. You disseminate that into the company. So the company runs without you pretty much. That's almost your role as, as a CEO in, in many companies. And I think, you know, applying that to the VC fund and seemingly with you guys, you've kind of extracted the information that leads to the good selection, the good scouting, the good supporting and you've put that into the IP of the company and disseminated it amongst the team so that the fund will live on beyond the partners by the sounds of things, which is exactly what you want in, in a sustainable ecosystem. You want these organizations to not be heavily reliant so that you have the ability to cut the head off and the whole thing dies. I mean, that, that would be a terrible thing for the ecosystem, particularly one building you know, life-saving health tech. Um, solutions and things like that. So yeah, I absolutely love that. And I remember when we chatted last time, that was the bit that I was left with that I think the the way that you've approached the model has been wonderful. And I would honestly, I would really like to read the, uh, the thesis that you wrote for your master's. So the next thing then, uh, tell me about the funds. I mean, you guys have got a, a few different funds, haven't you, that, that do different things. And so it'd be good for our listeners to know what you do invest in, where you want those companies from, your ticket sizes, what you look to take, any of any or all of the above, if you could just tell us about, about the funds. Sure. So uh, today we have uh, three separate vehicles. Uh, we have uh, a Moon One, which is the uh, legacy uh, portfolio. That's that, that was the family office part of the business. We no longer make new investments uh, out of the Moon One, but we have uh, 20 uh, very exciting portfolio companies there, um, both early stage and late stage uh, across different um, uh, subsectors of uh, healthcare. Uh, and, and, and that's about uh, $300 million today. Uh, the uh, uh, second vehicle is uh, Immune Velocity. The Moon Velocity is uh, early stage fund. So, so overall, uh, our investment strategy is what we call a barbell strategy. So we, we either invest very early out of the Moon Velocity or later on uh, out of our Moon 2 fund, which is a mid to late stage fund. Got it. So uh, a Moon Velocity and, and, and these two are just like pure venture capital funds. So a Moon Velocity today uh, is about a, an $80 million fund. And, um, and, 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 and the Moon 2 is roughly a $700 million fund. So, so overall on the platform, uh, we're now managing uh, $1.1 billion. Now, you, you asked about check size. Um, well, you know, that, that really uh, depends uh, on, on the specific situation and also the fund. Yeah. So uh, when we invest um, out of the Moon Velocity in young companies, you know, a, a typical investment can, can even be, you know, two or three million dollars. Yeah. Um, and, and when we invest uh, out of, uh, out of a moon two, well, there it's a very different strategy. We call it the triple L strategy. Uh, we, we, we invest in uh, later stage, lower risk, but larger checks. Yeah. Uh, so the minimum uh, investment size uh, for us out of a moon two 
is about 10 million, but more typical would be 15 to 20 uh, for, the, uh, for the initial investment. And then uh, you double down on the winners. Got it. And probably worth noting that the names of your strategies are great. The barbell strategy, the the triple L strategy. I think these are these are wonderfully named strategies. I don't know whether you've coined them, but uh, very, very nice to hear those names. Um, and I think that the question that I've got then is so in terms of in terms of where you are in kind of health tech. So obviously at one end of the scale, you've got digital health, like digital therapeutics and things like that. And at the other end, you've kind of got bio, pharma, the big medical devices and, and things like that. And where do you guys sit with both of those funds? Are you looking more at digital health with the early stage, life sciences later? I mean, how do you guys think about that? So we invest across the board uh, in uh, healthcare. We do get more excited uh, when there's a very uh, a strong uh, technology element to it, but it's not, but it's not a must and we've invested in, 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 in more traditional uh, pharma companies as well. Sure. Um, I can tell you though that over time, we're kind of migrating away from the more traditional healthcare definitions of uh, biopharma, medical device, tools and diagnostics, and, uh, yeah. and digital health. I mean, you know, digital is, is everywhere. Uh, nowadays, and, and 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 we have drug development companies where you know eighty percent of the employees are, are computer scientists. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So how do you call that? I mean, is this a drug development or is this a <laughs> yeah. digital health? So we're 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 starting to think about companies in in, in different clusters. You know, I mean, mm. for, for us, like you know, Omics is a is a is a cluster. Uh, and yeah. you know we've invested in genomics and proteomics and metabolomics uh, companies. Uh, so we, we we I guess are thinking about this in a in a slightly different uh, segmentation. And that makes sense, right? Because it's like someone said to me the other day: you don't call it digital finance; you just call it finance. And it's just it just happens to be already digitized. And I think that's the thing with digital healthcare: it is basically it should just be healthcare. I think you know there's so many elements of, of digitizing all aspects of health that you're absolutely right. I mean, how do you categorize all this stuff? And I think that's that's a really interesting point. So I guess of your portfolio, then. Um, maybe some of the digital health ones, maybe some of the others. I mean, could you give us a flavor for the, for the types of things that you do? Let's start with, um, let's start with velocity as, as the fun, because I think that'll be most interesting for the people listening. Yeah. So, uh, in velocity, I'll, 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 I'll give you maybe, uh, uh, one or two, uh, examples. So Perfect. maybe, maybe, maybe a good place to start would be, you know, what makes sense for us to invest in out of velocity versus a moon two. Yeah. So in, in Velocity, for example, we, we invested in a company that's called Ibex that's doing uh, AI in pathology. Mm. So, you know, uh, much of the work uh, today in uh, pathology labs, more than 90%, uh, is still down uh, the good old-fashioned way. <laughs> when, Counting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, microscopes and uh, using um, uh, people... Uh, to uh, analyze and, and 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 read the results. Yeah. Well, uh, that that is definitely changing uh, over time. You're seeing more uh, digital pathology labs and 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 our ability to automatically provide insights. And it starts maybe with a second read, and then it's going to move into a first read. Uh, but to provide meaningful insights from AI algorithms. Uh, is, is increasing dramatically. 
And, and you know, we also made an investment out of Emun 2 in a company that's called Zebra Medical Vision that's doing AI and radiology. Well, oh, interesting. Why, why would we make that investment out of Emun 2? Well, because radiology is more advanced in that sense. Because in radiology, yes. more than 90% of the data is already digital. So yes. it's, it's, it's right there and it's ready for the AI revolution. With pathology, it's going to take slightly longer. So it makes more sense for us to, to invest in a very young company in uh, um, pathology out of velocity, but invest in a more mature company. We led the Series C round uh, for Zebra in uh, radiology. And when we invested, they already had uh, commercial products and regulatory approvals, sales, so uh, a, more, a more mature story. Got it. And it must be nice for you guys because you've got a view of the entire ecosystem and then you've also got the vehicles to take the opportunity in that whole ecosystem as well. So you guys can spot an earlier stage company that needs a million, two million in the same way that you can track companies up to 20, 30, 40 if you want to and, and you know make investments at that end. And it must be it must be nice for you guys to have that entire view of the ecosystem. I mean what do you what do you personally enjoy about about this ecosystem? What do you what are the sorts of companies that you really like to look at and see and invest in? Yeah so first of all here uh, and in terms of sourcing and what we look at I would distinguish also between um, Israeli deals versus outside of Israel deals. Yeah. Uh, in, in Israel, uh, given, given the, the, the size of the fund, uh, we uh, target to see every deal that is out there. Um, so we have a very broad reach. Look, you can't ever get to 100%, but, but we try to get very close to that. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 at least look at at every deal and and, and develop relationships and, and follow companies. Uh, outside of Israel, we're very active. A third of our portfolio is actually outside of Israel. Oh, nice! Uh, but 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 we do it more uh, selectively and through our network and in areas that we find that are more interesting and relevant to us and with companies that have clear synergies with the rest of our portfolio. So uh, we're, 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 we're a little bit, we have a slightly different process, I would say, but uh, very, very similar goals. Uh, overall, between Velocity and Moon 2, uh, we see more than a thousand investment opportunities a year, mm-hmm. about 11 or 1200 uh, annually. And we're going to end up investing in about 10. Mm. Um, and, and that's not unusual uh, for, for VCs to invest in, in about one company to every 100 opportunities yeah. uh, that, uh, that we're seeing. That's, uh, that's how the model works. Cool. And is there anything in particular that you that you guys look for? I mean, you don't have to explain all of your secret sauce, but is there anything that companies can do to either particularly impress you at those meetings, or or you know have in their data room, or you know present to you, or can they be from a certain space? Is there anything particular that you that you guys are either looking for or that they can do to impress you? So you know, we talked about the team, and uh, and that's obviously uh, uh, incredibly important. I feel like we we, we can't cover that. 
but there, there are certain other elements that may be worth uh, highlighting. Um, we like people that, that understand uh, the landscape. And what I mean by that is, uh, A, uh, entrepreneurs that, that understand the competitive landscape. And, I, and James, I'm not just talking about this like one page that they're going to include in the presentation. <laughs> sure. That will have two axes and their company is on the right <laughs> side of that, yeah. Yeah. that page. I mean, okay, we've, we've, we've seen that. But, yeah. uh, but, but entrepreneurs that really understand the, their, their place in the value chain yeah. and how are they truly differentiated from the competition, uh, uh, not just across two dimensions, but 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 really understanding um, uh, the uh, uh, direct and, and indirect competition and and snapshot of today and how it is is it is likely to develop going into the the the, the future. So the more sophisticated and knowledgeable you are, it's easier for us to develop the, the conviction that we need. Yes, yes. The second thing, and, and that's specific to, to healthcare, and, and look, we're, we're seeing many entrepreneurs now moving from tech to healthcare. But, but as, as part of that wave, we're, we're also looking for, for entrepreneurs that now understand the differences and understand that healthcare is a slightly different system and that you need to really understand the healthcare economics. Yeah. And, and, and develop a, a credible business model that you can articulate the ROI to the clients that you're targeting. Mm. That, that you understand it's not enough to have robust technology and a solution that can help patients. I mean, in an ideal world, that would have been enough. But, but in reality, and especially in the US, when you have that, that separation and misalignment of incentives yeah. between payers and providers and patients, we need solutions that, that work within that ecosystem. And, and, and we like talking to entrepreneurs that can articulate how the business model is going to work. Yeah. And that's just it. You summarized it quite nicely there. I mean, I've written that, you know, understanding your space and the competition and the economics, it sounds very simple, doesn't it? But ultimately, that is the business model. Ultimately, that is what's going to make you successful. And it's amazing how quickly I think you can build trust with a founder or a founding team when they when they critically appraise their own space and the competition with and you use the word extreme conviction you know they are so confident that they know and understand the space and the economics of the space they understand everybody playing in the space probably because they're playing in it right now in a different way and they've then spotted the opportunity and they've gone out of their way to find out whether there is a market for these things. They've tested all of their assumptions. And it's, it's incredible how, I mean, you've summarized it so well there, but I just think that builds so much trust so early on when you can speak to founders like that. And, you know, even when I'm looking to mentor people and all the rest of it, you know, I had this the other day, you know, someone came to me with exactly that and they were operating in that space already. They were they were doing a different job within a different company, but they knew all the other companies for that reason. They understood the space. They were very smart 
probably not getting <laughs> as much opportunity as they should be in the current company. So they decided to, to start this other one. So it, you know, it makes, it makes so much sense. And I think it does come down to trust because that's ultimately the relationship that you're going to need with your investor is one of trust. And I think once that investor starts doing the DD and digging around, if they, if they find that everything that that founder has said in that meeting rings true, you know, it's just going to be green light, green light, green light all the way to the finish line, right? And I think that's a, a very good way to start. So I think for all the people listening that might want to get in touch with Thomas to tell them what they're doing, I think understanding your space, the competition and the economics so that you can plot your business model and your projections properly, I think is extremely important. Um, and, and anything to add on that, Thomas? James, if I can just, yeah, yeah. So just just one thing, I love how you, you, you emphasize uh, trust yeah and 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 people don't pay enough attention to that and yeah actually the 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 word emun the name of our fund that means trust in hebrew <laughs> wow uh, because for us it's it's all about that there's there's some element as you get to know uh brilliant entrepreneurs develop a relationship with them that's that's kind of almost like dating yeah right like you get to know them they get to know you and, and, and you need to build trust for it to work longer term. Yeah. And, 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 and for us, this is a very meaningful part of the process and, and something that we try to build over time. And, and, and I guess the most successful entrepreneurs, they kind of know how to balance between enthusiasm and conviction, which are, which are so important, but to also not overpromise. Yeah. To, to, to know how to, to manage expectations and, and to build a, a credible, long-lasting relationship. I love it. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. The the gems of information that you've come up with there have just been have just been awesome. And it's not a surprise, you know, with with the background that you've had studying in the US in finance and moving into healthcare and, and venture capital and all the innovation that you've seen and the innovation that you've done with the fund and the way that you're building your team. I think it's awesome. And I I I love I love everything that you're doing, man. And I th- I think, yeah, all I wish you all the success in the world with the fund. And I have almost no doubt that your LPs are going to be happy with you and you're going to go on to raise your next funds without much problems. Um, but listen, dude, the way that we end these podcasts is I hand back over to you to summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about your background and to let us know if you've got any asks of our audience. So by all means, sir, uh, close us out. Uh, sure. So I'm Tomer Berkovitz. I'm a, a partner uh, at Moon. Moon is the uh, largest uh, health tech fund uh, in Israel manage 1.1 billion and we're investing in both early stage and late stage uh, healthcare companies across all subsectors in in healthcare. Uh, We're very passionate about technology. We're very passionate about science. We love working with brilliant uh, entrepreneurs and uh, entrepreneurs that, that have ideas that are truly disruptive that can address significant markets, uh, then uh, we'd love to uh, build uh, a trust-based relationships uh, with you, uh, invest in the company, uh, support the company uh, over time with our team here of 45 people, very global uh, experience and, and with a lot of passion uh, to, to healthcare and, and to accelerating cure. Thanks, Tom. Oh, and what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they if they want to? Have you got a contact on your website or anything like that? 
yeah, so people should uh, feel free to uh, email me directly. I mean, we do have a website, we do have uh, an IR uh, uh, email and email for entrepreneurs, but uh, I would actually love for people to, to reach out directly. And, and, and my email is uh, Tomer, uh, my name, T-O-M-E-R, at immune.fund. Awesome. I'm just writing that down myself and I'll put that in the description of the episode for everybody listening. So Tom, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure we'll speak soon. James, thank you so much for inviting me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.